Lady Macbeth. That has been a brain weevil for me for like two days now. I can't stop thinking about it. Just, You're welcome. And I wish I knew more words to Christopher Berg's and... Lady in Red so I could really get some work done. But Yeah, that'd be the that's the dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. Consider this uh, an open invite. <laughs> Please write that Lady uh, Macbeth, uh, Lady in Red parody. <laughs> yeah, we for need us. that parody so badly. Desperately. Desperately. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course, unless you're in the middle of this marathon. That's right. Which is Don't Eat Mushrooms, the movies. I call it the Fun Guys Marathon. <laughs> the Fun Guys. Okay, so. Uh, I knew to- there was going to be a reveal of what your actual name was going to be. If you have not listened to the last two weeks' episodes, I'll get you up to speed as fast as I can. Arthur has doled out clues, much like the Snowman Killer uh, in uh, the Harry Hole <laughs> And epic. you are my Harry Holes. I was his Harry Hole, that's right. Yes. Uh, and I have been hounding him for clues every week, and I have come up with a bunch of dumb things that this marathon could have been based off of Phantom Thread first, and then 2017's The Beguiled. Um, it was revealed at the end of last week's show that we'd be watching Lady Macbeth, which makes sense because all three of these films are period pieces that came out in the U.S. in 2017 and feature, as Dustin's pointed out, fungi-related poisonings. Yes, we, we, we kill the men with the mushrooms. Um, Fun guys. And there are... A couple of fun guys in this movie. Oh, man. Jesus. I, I don't like anybody in this movie. No, everybody in this movie is yeah, bad. It's no, actually, I take it back. Anna's cool. Anna's fine and has done nothing bad to anyone ever, as far as we can tell. Uh, well, just, until we can tell. Well, we'll get there. I think the only good person is the cook who we actually never get to see, except yes. in one you're scene out of the, she's running around with Anna. <laughs> you're you're out of the wine, because you drink it all. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. And I am still Dalton. And in case you're tuning in the show for the very first time, we want to warn you, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean spoilers. And this movie, I think spoilers matter. Your hump. A, mm-hmm. a bit, yes. Yeah. And so... Um, what we'll do to sort of gently get you into the film, if you're judging whether or not you want to watch it or not, is we're going to do uh, a setup like this. We'll do a synopsis, which is like all synopses. It will be spoiler at less-ish, for the most part. I mean, sometimes I'm spoiled in a synopsis, but not in a significant way. Sure. And then we move on to thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We do those briefly. And as we they are brief, and they're like movie reviews, they're going to be the gentlest in spoiler territory there. Then we move on to a little thought exercise that we like to call expanding the syllabus. That might involve a spoiler of this film. It probably would. Uh, but it will also definitely probably involve spoilers of films in its orbit that you might be interested in watching. So, you know, buyer beware. Then we have some kicky music that lets you know we've gotten down to business, and that business is analysis, and that does mean all spoiler bets are off. That is your warning, dear friends and neighbors. So with all that, Arthur has prepared a synopsis that I'm sure is going to delight us. I would like to be delighted now. Thank you, Arthur. Catherine is bought to be a bride at the Lester estate, but her husband fails to fulfill his husbandly duties. Tensions mount as her father-in-law pressures her to conceive an heir until the Lester men are called away on business. And with the men away, Catherine begins to take account of the property and the men around her and finds herself swept away in a passionate affair. But she soon finds that her newfound freedom and power is too good to give up. 
Great synopsis. Great synopsis. It is like Lady Chatterley's Lover, I think, in a lot of ways. I, I don't know if the, if the discourse around it makes a lot of those connections or not. The D.H. Lawrence novel. Not that I have seen, but I did not do a deep, deep, deep dive uh, on the discourse around this. It is an adaptation of the Russian novella, uh, Lady Macbeth, of eh, a Russian word district. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's got like three cons. Katarina. Yeah, it's got three consonants at the front. I didn't internalize. I'm not going to do that kind of stuff either. No. Yeah, but it is... I also saw that word and decided I didn't need to know it either. Yeah, that's really as far as literary connections. That's basically all I've seen is just kind of talking about how the ending of this is quite different than the ending of that. Okay, well, yeah. and I, I would say the ending is also quite different from Lady Chatterley. But um, that all being said, I found some strong valences there. But that's neither here nor Was there. Was it because of all the pumping? Mostly the pumping. Well, the pumping of the lady and of the groundskeeper. Um, that particular that, that, that dynamic. particular dynamic and mm-hmm. sort of working out social uh, taboos and mores and mm-hmm. figuring all that out. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of... Uh, Literature and documentaries uh, dic- documenting that that phenomenon. Of, yeah, the, the, the transgressiveness of, of, house, of, of, of house governesses and groundskeepers. Mm-hmm. You know, I can refer you to some supplemental material. But yeah, <laughs> I guess joke. I'm the sorry. particular kind of transgressiveness of this particular plot scenario that we're talking about. I'm, I'm trying to be as vague as possible. I got uh, you. All of that, and then, then just the bandedness of... The uh, groundskeeper's got to tend to the garden. Lady Chatterley, um, D.H. Lawrence's book, um, had very much difficulty staying in libraries. And, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. got to nurture the flower. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Wow. That's what he was hired for. You know what, Arthur? That's a good point. <sighs> right on. So, we've now heard a synopsis and a bit of... Um, Interesting band. Yeah, and Arthur and I have had some good fun at Dustin's expense. <laughs> I'm going to go to you, Dalton, the noob, the Please. virgin viewer yes. of the film, um, sold to watch this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, whatever happens, I happens. do not fetch a, a steep dowry, that is for sure. Checks <laughs> out. A lot of what, city miles on this car. What are your initial reactions to Lady Macbeth? God, what a good movie. Mm-hmm. And what a I don't know that I want to watch it again anytime soon though, man. What <laughs> a rough correct. movie. God. Um it, it is so great to get to circle back to uh Flopew, as I like to call her. And I'm, I I know lots of other people call her. I call her that, but it's fun. It's I it's fun to give people nicknames when you admire their work. Uh and, and it's fun to see this first performance because you do see it's it's breakout quality. Um, and that's that is sort of the the banner that has been placed over this film uh, is the Florence P. Breakout movie. And with good reason. I mean, it is just a pretty stellar performance. And it's fun to uh, watch interviews contemporary to its U.S. release where uh, what she's, you know, she's got fighting with my family coming out. And that's basically it. And just kind of talking about how like, yeah, you don't you don't get roles this good very often. And it's it's fun to think, oh, yeah, you're about to get a good one. You're about to get that Midsommar. Ooh, what a good one. And then, you know, you got to get that that Disney bag. Anyway, uh, I, I do find myself fascinated by the ways in which this tackles a lot of similar material to last week's movie, uh, The Beguiled. Mm-hmm. And I think at every turn, it pretty much does a better job uh, at handling a lot of the same themes and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to throw that, that Sofia Coppola film under the bus too hard, uh, but I, again, I just think it's... It's very interesting, and, and the choices that it makes, and it's it's hard to say how much of that is a writing thing and a directing thing because we have two different uh, sources here, as opposed to last week's film, which you know same writer director. Um, but but it is interesting. When I feel a little bit more spoiler confident, I think I'll get into like there's some 
a specific quote from the writer that makes me wonder about who to, who to credit with some of these ideas that, that end up in the film. But I think it's very interesting, especially time and place. Um, we haven't got into this yet and we'll definitely get into an analysis. Uh, but, uh, Anna, the, the, uh, maid or uh, I guess body woman to Catherine, sort of her, her gal. Yeah. Um, and the groundskeeper Sebastian are both uh, black. Uh, and this film takes place in like 1860. So slavery has been illegal in the UK or I guess just Britain then, I don't know what it was called then, uh, for like 30 years, mm-hmm. like dead on. So the, these are two characters are like the first generation to grow up uh, after the end of child slavery in the UK, which I just think is interesting. And I think the film does a lot with that without ever like calling attention to itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really appreciated that. Again, for a film last week that we takes place during the American Civil War, like literally within the same couple of years as lady Macbeth, decidedly melanin deprived and just decidedly not wanting to deal with it and i know that was a big issue we had with the last week and there's i guess i'm bringing it up because there's not a stone that this movie doesn't want to deal with it it turns everything over it wants to talk about it all it ain't and, scared of nothing exactly mm-hmm. and and yet it does so in a way that is like so economic right this movie's a tight 90 um and every scene is like giving you something about character. It's giving you something about relationships. It's giving you something about the stakes uh, of just like what's going on. Uh, it, it is just a, a really well crafted and well put together piece of movie making. Uh, the editing of this I really love because it it's very elliptical in a way that I appreciate. Um, and you know it's it's easy to go oh you know I like the kind of soft fade outs on this. And when I say elliptical in this, I, I mean specifically like it feels like there's big time jumps between scenes, mm-hmm. yeah. real episodic kind of sense. Yep. Yeah, I love that, yeah. dude. Every time I'm watching a studio movie and there's like an insert scene, I've seen that a scene that feels like a pickup of like somebody explaining something we've already kind of heard about. It's like God, what? Get this shit out of here. That's what you spent your money on. Mm-hmm. You know this movie's got a reported two hundred and fifty thousand dollar production budget 250,000 yeah dude they just found a big estate that they were able to shoot at and that basically took care of most of the the look of the movie right right on yeah and then nobody in this is like a name right so mm. it yeah. it is coming I mean, down yeah. to pretty much costumes and lighting and, and you know everybody's they time all crush it. everyone crushes it in this movie so the guy that plays sebastian i think is a primarily a, a musician a musician yeah, yeah which is fun i love love yeah, cosmo jarvis that yeah checks out yeah he's great man uh at, at a character that could like is hard to be interesting mm-hmm. and i think he gives that character a lot of depth um it, look the the thing that I want to say that I'm desperately wanting to say, uh, and I'll, I won't. Oh, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but if somebody says they're your ride or die, yeah, that's certainly mean that's true, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what this movie is about, uh, writ mm-hmm. large. Um, I can't wait to talk about it more once once we can take the spoiler valves off. But <laughs> yeah, I like this movie a lot. It looks so good. Every as we said, every performance is great. Um, who's the DP on this? Anybody know? Uh, Ari Wegner? Don't know Ari Wegner? Yeah, I don't know. It, I just ask because it looks great. Yeah, uh, it does look great. And that's sort of been the one, the other through line of these three movies that we've watched uh, for this this uh, secret marathon is, damn, all these movies are lit great and just look absolutely spectacular. Um, this is definitely the moodiest of the three films. It's interesting how things have gotten darker as we've kind of gone down this Despite it being randomized yeah, by draw. Yeah, yeah, but... I mean, it really worked out about perfectly. Oh, God, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it was totally random draw. Yeah. It has been so fun to, yeah, watch that evolution of kind of similar thematic ideas playing against each other. Uh, again, we our, our, our log line is we're talking about stuff you're not going to talk about a film studies course. It has been fun to talk about three things you could 
just Definitely. very easily talk about together in the same course and as you know whatever you wanted to talk about uh feminism in you know uh thrillers uh relationship movies just 2017 like there's so many options um it's just been a fun marathon which is who aren't witches who i like witches who aren't witches that's good i'm just i'm you know that's that's, that's a way you might connect it but yeah yeah yeah. that's good mm. um back to the dp real quick yes. ari wegner uh, they appear to have been director of photography for Zola. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. And in Fabric, the Peter Strickland movie. Peter Strickland. Oh, okay. um, and then nine episodes of The Girlfriend Experience. Oh, the most recent season? Uh, Probably, or maybe. older ones? I don't know. That makes sense, though. Soderbergh. Yeah. yeah, okay. Soderbergh is a nerd about that stuff, and he's a producer on that still. So. There you go. Yeah, Zola looks great, too. Uh, I, I oh, get man. to see it. Yeah, it looks fantastic, so that makes sense. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are Dalton's thoughts. I would like to now hear Arthur's thoughts. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, I think the year uh, 2017, I think this was my number five, or it was at least in my top five, I'm pretty sure, uh, for the year. Um, I I am endlessly fascinated by this dark, I mean, very Shakespearean tragedy. Uh, Also has this kind of infusion of David Fincher. I I think a lot about Gone Girl. Um, I'm just endlessly fascinated by it and partially it is it's it is Florence Pugh's performance right I mean it's one of those turns that when you watch it and you just say if if the stars align this person's going to be a massive massive money-making star and she's proven to do that Um, and for good reason this movie I think because it is so economic allows so much else to shine through and that is partially her performance but she's surrounded by a great cast it's not just her um, but she does still a show, and it, it is understandable how she blew up to the to the magnitude that she has so far. Um, I, I really echo everything Dalton says. I mean, it looks great, sounds great. The sound design's really strong. Those little yeah. things. The I love this estate that they're filming in. Right, it's a great set. Uh, I love the kind of production design. We don't talk about this a lot, but the way this kind of very minimalist design reflects the Lester's kind of cold barrenness. Ooh. Yeah. Right, I mean, it it's has very that Presbyterian. I always, yeah. I thought. You yeah, know. I mean, it's very cold. It's, I mean, there's a table because they need a table, right? There's mm. no real warmth, or it's not a home. Uh, and I think that it's design like, reinforces the kind of cage essentially she's been put into, right? It's the opposite of the Woodcock House, weirdly, yeah. which is also still kind of an austere place, but there is warmth in because its, there's family there. I yeah, think, there a is a sense of family. Yeah, and, and, and this doesn't have that, obviously, right? <laughs> Uh, but you're, I mean, it, it does try to tackle so much, but I, I mean, to me, uh, I, I'm just drawn in by this wild arc mm. that Catherine goes on. I, I, I am endlessly, and we can't really talk about it yet. We will, but because so much of what shapes it is, is spoilery. Um, so yeah, I, I love it though. I, I think, uh, it's, it's tight 90. It, it makes great use of that. It doesn't have to sit here and hit you over the head explaining everything like Dalton mentioned, uh, um, yeah, I just love it, and we'll talk probably more about why. I mean, these three films as all total package are fascinating to me as well. Um, but we're right here, right now. I love it. I love this movie. Very cool. Well, we are definitely going to play a marathon game, by the by, friends, when we get towards the end of the show. But um, we'll get to that later. Yeah, I've already, I'm, I'm done. I've locked it in. Okay, good deal. Well, I have I have two different questions. Oh, oh your heart. Now, you've seen this film before. I have, and it is... Did gr- it make your 2017 list, or was it a late? I, is, is, I, I'm trying to recall. I think it may have. I feel I like think it, it was. I maybe a little like higher did, up. And I, but... I think it beat Beguiled. I think they both made the list, and I like this one better. Yeah. And I certainly still do. If yeah. that is, I mean, yeah. or at least I do now. 
um, <laughs> yeah. as taste and uh, personality evolves over time. So, yes, it is great. Um, we've already said performances are great. Costumes are great. That big blue dress. That blue dress. Yeah. Man, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, what more can you say? You've already talked about set design and production design, Arthur, and I think that's very, very true. We mentioned just how pretty it looks from the director of photography, but also just uh, formalist choices with the camera, how there's so much of a static camera most of the time mm-hmm. in the home, unless we're in a moment of crisis. And it's as mo- mo- mobile, handheld, roving camera outdoors, where it's wilder and stranger. I think those choices are really kind of fascinating and a, a good formal language uh, that Wagner, Wag, Wagner, that Wagner, Wagner, Wagner. That's probably Wagner. Wagner, I'm not sure. I guess it depends yeah. on where yeah. they live at, right? Yeah, that's the, yeah, um, you know where they're chooses from. Chooses to deploy. Um, my, my point being, I, I really like that. I think plot-wise, it's great. I think the title... Lady Macbeth gives away some of what's going to happen, but not all in of it. In such a cheeky you, and clever you, way. You know there's murder and murder most foul, but you don't know who's going to get it or how. And I'm all about that. And so, and can she wash out that damned spot? Interestingly, um, that Ooh. is, there's Ooh. so much going on, right? Oof. And so the Shakespearean level there and the way in which it plays itself out so much to his Victorian setting and plays with those Victorian ideals and those ideals of individualism. Uh, I'm really thinking about the time and the setting of it. And I've, by you know Kismet, I've been reading a lot of the English Romantic poets like Carlyle and um, oh my brain is breaking right now. But anyway, uh, Coleridge and, and and Carlyle especially Wordsworth and uh, their influence on the American transcendentalists and the sort of uh, shaking off the shackles of propriety and of uh, social mores and expectations to live by self-reliance and to be your own person. And that very British expression of it in the romantics there, I see a lot of that uh, thematically played within an interesting kind of way, even though romanticism is sort of going out of fashion by the time period this is in, it's heavily influenced by it, it seems to me. And so um, that fascinates me. And so I find it to be a, a continually enriching kind of film, though would I watch it again soon? I'm not so sure. Um, as Dalton has mentioned, because it is it's mean. heavy yeah. and it, it's mean. It is a mean. It's not mean spirited. I don't think there no, are, there are, there are just, films that are cruel. It's hard to watch. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. comes to mind almost immediately. Uh, for Martyrs. right, right. Uh, this this movie feels more um, mean in its dealing with meanness. Yeah, yeah. An examination, a meditation the on and, on meanness, yeah. rather than just simply being cruel to the spectator. Right, mm-hmm. and so I enjoy that though, and uh, find it to be really, really compelling. So yes, can I tell you something I'm thinking about uh, because you brought up the transcendental guys. Mm-hmm. I've been watching Dickinson, the the show on Apple with mm-hmm. um, Haley Steinfeld mm-hmm. as the the titular poet, and she gets to meet Thoreau in one episode, and he's played by John Mulaney, and he sucks. <laughs> he sucks so Mulaney's bad. Such a good choice. Oh right, I know Mulaney is. Although right. Mulaney's way too good looking. I don't know if you've seen Thoreau, uh, Thoreau but man, they give him the 1840s chin strap. To your 1850s chin strap. I don't know if that terrible. would make him ugly enough, but uh, but yeah, just remind you that like he lived on his like family's property and like his family like, brought up biscuits and shit every day. And yeah. it's just it's funny to think about. Um I got one more for you. I got another fun one. Uh we'll get a little cameo here from one of the Sanchez brothers. So our good friend Alex, his brother Nick, mm-hmm. is uh working a she- in a Shakespeare company in Virginia right now. Well, good I for was him. just talking Yeah, right, but I was just talking to the other night and they're doing Macbeth right now. Oh right. They on. are doing the Scottish Kismet. play currently. I know, right? I love it when 
the serendipities abound. So they're on the stage and they they hit their act break or whatever, and they all get together, you know, backstage getting ready. And somebody pointed out like it smells like weed on stage, right? And everyone's like, okay, yeah. Everybody like agreed. So somebody in the audience has somehow gone undetected and smoked weed during this performance of Big Bath. So they get back. It's Nick and uh, his scene partner, and they've got they've got the. Uh, uh, air, air most foul scene coming mm-hmm. into the, the scene that they're in. So they really like hit the lines on the air, smelling weird and stuff. They get to really have fun with it. That's, that's, awesome. that's great. Yeah. Just thinking about Nick Beth a lot this week because of that story in this movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Love it. So, well, there you go, dear friends. Um, those are our initial thoughts on Lady Macbeth. Now let's think about using this film in a film space course. Let's go ahead and go into our little thought experiment that we like to call expanding the syllabus. Dalton, can you tell us what that's all about? <clears throat> I sure can. Expanding the syllabus is a little brain exercise and where we, the dum-dums, try to swell our gourds uh, big and try to think with our galaxy brains. And we try to wrestle these movies to the ground. And normally it's harder to figure out how we would talk about them in a film studies course because usually it's, I don't know, uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, well, I was going to say Arachnophobia, but we actually haven't done that movie. Uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters, sure. There you go. Yeah, although that one's kind of easy too. Anyway. Normally it's harder uh, because that's the premise of the show. This week it's going to be easy, but we try to take the movie and theorize how we, as individuals, would try to talk about an academic setting. What are the supplemental films, texts that we would bring in? Would it be a segment of a course? Would it be a whole course? Would it be um, a film studies course? Or would it go more into the social sciences? That is expanding the syllabus. All right. Well, thank you for that, Dalton. Arthur, what does your syllabus look like? You know, I, I'm thinking about fitting this in. I, I feel like over the course of the last couple of years, I've, I've really started to assemble a star studies course and talking about acting and the different styles of acting. And I think part of that goes along with that is is the idea of the breakout performance. Uh, and I think that's where I'd focus here because I want to focus, focus on two aspects of this, and that is the breakout performance that sustains, uh, you know, like a flow, flow pew has, and I also want to kind of look at that with in contrast to one-hit wonders, essentially. People Ooh. who have that big moment and then just never really get those roles again. Uh, and so for this, uh, I, I've got two sets of screenings or maybe just look at clips or talk about some of these things. But uh, as far as the breakout performance, I've gotten mostly modern. I've got some throwbacks here. And I want to start with William Golding and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, like him there, he's having a big, big good time. Uh, he got to do the big Snake Eye movie. He had his his big blockbuster. He got to do the uh, Simple Plan thriller, uh, which is a lot of fun. He's had a great couple of years. Yeah, uh, and so I think I want to go with there and kind of trace that back to Crazy Rich Asians and, and see maybe what it is. Kind of analyze that performance to see what really sticks out. Obviously, it's the god awful handsomeness and, and charisma, but that's probably where we'd start with. Uh, from there, I'd look at Jonathan Majors. Uh, much like Florence Pugh and Lady Macbeth, uh, watching The Last Black Man in San Francisco and watching Jonathan Majors there, yeah, you man. can't help but say, that guy's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. And a star he is becoming. Yeah, uh, dude, with Lovecraft Country, yeah. Loki, I mean, this guy's blowing he's, up. Yeah, he's the his, new uh, Marvel Big Bad. Yeah, uh, his new, uh, the, the Western with him and him and Idris Elba oh, and yeah. uh, Regina King, right? I mean, this guy's all over the place, and he's great. We walked out of that screening, uh, and yeah, it just... The the whole theater's vibe was like electric, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. You you could tell he was going to go places, and he's gone places. Uh, and then I want to throw back a little. I want to talk James Spader and Pretty in Pink. Uh, Spader had done a couple things prior to that and starring roles, but Pretty in Pink really established him as the 
upper class uh, douchebag, uh, which he really milked for a long time. Right. I was uh, uh, I was thinking you might do sex lies and videotape. I really you know? thought about that, but I was kind of looking, and it seemed like Pretty and Pink was the one that kind of put him in the map. Mm-hmm. And he obviously is able to kind of pivot and do stuff like the the thrill, the erotic thrillers he does later in the eight, late eighties and early nineties. Uh, but I, I think I'd go back there and look at that and, and how he starts to develop. Because I, I think part of this is kind of developing a persona for some of these people. Uh, then I want to jump ahead again to Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone, uh, another one of those performances, uh, some very similar, I think, to Lady Macbeth. Uh, and then I want to look at Drew Barrymore in E.T. I, I try to stay away from a lot of child stars, but Drew has overcome a lot of stuff, obstacles early on, uh, and has really established herself as kind of a multimedia mogul yeah. uh, in many ways. And, and I think it's a really interesting story to go back and look at. And her in E.T., obviously, the, the cute Wunderkind uh, and her Reese's Pieces, I, I think is really important here. Uh, and I want to contrast that with some other stuff. I want to look at Paul Crocodile Dundee Hogan. Um, <laughs> sure. I want to talk about Mark Hamill, uh, who is kind of right. poised to become this yeah. breakout, but he gets overshadowed by everybody else in that cast. And then goes on to be like the, the name voice actor. Yeah, yeah, which is a fascinating career. Yeah. Uh, so I want to look at that and that dichotomy. I want to talk about Jennifer Grey. I want to talk about the expectations of the studio and marketability and looks and how after her surgery, she just didn't get the roles and wasn't recognizable anymore. And the kind of tragedy that goes along with that. I want to talk about Jean de Jardin. I want to look at the yeah. artist in OSS 117 because this is a guy who has all of the factors and kind of would have expected that crossover success as like a Marion Cotillard or Gerard Depardieu. Uh, and it just didn't happen. He still makes movies, but he, after you know winning an Oscar and being in one of these lauded movies, you would have expected to have maybe a higher crossover rate. And it just didn't occur. He's he, got he Wolf of Wall Street. He's got like yeah. a glorified cameo. He did that deerskin movie, but even that I think was oh, yeah. European. Was he in the World War II movie with Clooney? Didn't they do World War Mo- Monuments Men? Yeah, maybe. Wasn't he Monuments Men? Maybe that sounds yeah, right. But what? But he's like a stunt cast. In yeah. Those, right? yeah, yeah. But he went back to France pretty much. Yeah. He's got like a, a thriller that looked pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, it's like a crime. Deer skin. I'm, I'm sure he's doing good work in French national cinema. But yeah, he doesn't have that international crossover yeah. any longer yeah. for sure. Uh, it's not called the French Connection, but it's like it's but it it's a idea. something connection. I think yeah it's, yeah, it's a crime movie. And he's a guy that can really do anything. He can do drama. He can do comedy. Yeah, he's, he's got great. a great look. Uh, and so I was kind of surprised about that. And the final one here, I think, would be uh, Barcadabi. Uh, from Captain Phillips. Oh, man. He's uh, so good, Phillips. He's so good. And he's gotten to do a few bit things here and there. He's in Good Time. He's in uh, Eye in the Sky or whatever that mm-hmm. movie's called. 2049 uh, yeah. for a scene. He's got a couple of little bit roles here. And, and I think that one just comes down to... He's so specific for that yeah. role and in some ways. He's not yeah. traditionally handsome. And, you know, I think those are kind of the factors working against him. Uh, but in Hollywood. And that. Uh, oh, and a similar uh, Oscar winner, uh, Marley Matlin. Matlin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for of... Children of a Lesser God. Yeah. 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 I mean, she still works. She still but, works, but, but not but it's, at it, that level. It, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I want to talk about like the types of movies where these roles are at, and, and if that has an effect, we talk about blockbusters or indie performances. We talk about genre. We could talk about just pure competition within that field. You know, mm-hmm. I need a mid 30 sexy guy who do i get and, yeah. and you know and that kind of idea and well, asking it, points and ego and oh, sure. all those factors as well I, I think it's just an interesting phenomenon uh, to see who can not only break out but sustain momentum mm-hmm. for an extended period of time it's easy to have you know a couple of movies in a couple of years but to be able to go for a decade or, or longer is, is really impressive and, and that's what i want to look at so that's where very i'm very cool i love yeah. that class man yeah that rules um we'll put that in the um 
We'll, we'll put that in the degree program. Let's do um, it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Uh, we, we control the world now. We have so much power at I'm our so fingertips. I'm so proud of the two of you. This is now officially work. Uh, all right. I should it get paid for this. <laughs> yeah, you can write. You can just start writing stuff off now. Can I? Well, we, nice. don't, we don't clock in, clock out. You are being paid for this. Oh. Wow. Mm. Hey, Dalton. Yeah, what's up? What's your syllabus looking like? Um, so I don't know if this is a class in and of itself or a... A segment of a larger class, but I want to talk about uh, dramatic archetypes, and I want to talk about the Lady Macbeth and the sort of that the evolution of that archetype as a character. Um, she's been done dirty, man. She's been done dirty, and uh, she deserves better. Um, and I, I think it's just interesting how this is a character archetype that's been with us, like in Western drama for what five hundred years at this point. A uh, hot minute. Yeah, it's it's just. I don't know. It's interesting. And there's a lot of there there. Um, the, the serendipities continue to abound because just a couple of weeks ago, I decided I wanted to check out part of the the Fassbender Macbeth with Marion Cotillard as Lady Macbeth. And she's great. Um, but yeah, like maybe a week or two ago, I watched mm-hmm. this. I didn't get all the way through it, uh, but I did find parts of it compelling. It looks great. But her performance uh, as Lady Macbeth is really good. And they, they added a layer. There's some some people will argue, and there, this, there's this dramatic interpretation of the, the original text, um, that there's an implication that they've lost a child at some point, Lady Macbeth and, and uh, Sir Macbeth. Um, they make that explicit within the text of this film, and I think that adds a lot of depth to that character, and it gives you a more context for how uh, her decision-making uh, goes throughout the, the course of that story. Uh, but outside of that, we'd, we'd look a lot at a lot of modern stories, but I would do one... Uh, Macbeth adaptation, like you know, fully outside of the original context. We look at Scotland, PA, uh, mm-hmm. which has got um, oh my gosh, like uh, man, I lost her name. Um, uh, but Walken is the Macduff, which is great. Um, I'm there. Yeah, thank you. It's more a tyranny. Thank you, Arthur, um, who uh, is the Lady Macbeth there. She's great in it. Uh, it's about a fast food uh, <laughs> location in the seventies. Yeah, huh. it's really good. I've always, I mean, to be fair, huh. I haven't seen it since I was in high school, but I remember really liking it. <laughs> um, I would also, of course, uh, look at the aforementioned Gone Girl, which I think is definitely a, a really interesting evolution of that type of character. Uh, we'd look at the Master, uh, where Amy Adams gets to to play that that type of well, the, a, a type of person that is real. Uh, most cults have a, a number two. And a lot of the time, the number two is a woman, especially if the number one's a dude. Um, and that's just kind of an interesting quirk of, of cults and something that gets to work within the master uh, and, and sort of its context of, you know, relationships and control and, you know, who, who has the power in a given dynamic. Um, I, didn't, I think we'd be looking at a lot of TV, unfortunately, uh, but primarily we'd be looking at Skylar White and Breaking Bad. Um, and, yes. and sort of, yeah, not only, of course, the terrible, shitty reaction that a lot of people had to that character, but the ways in which the show got to work with that, work with audience reaction and, and people kind of not understanding what Vince Gilligan was trying to do with that character in some places. And, uh, you know, because of the longevity of that show, they got to, like, work with that in later seasons, which I think is really interesting. And you get to watch that character go from the opposite of a Lady Macbeth to a Lady Macbeth and back around again, which mm-hmm. I, I think is great. And again, of course, you've got your uh, um, your, your uh, January Joneses and Mad Men, uh, and you've got your, um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't think of her name, but uh, Sopranos, Nurse uh, Nurse Jackie, Edie Falco. you got your Edie Falco and the Sopranos, and the list goes on and on, because for every uh, TV anti-dad, there is, of course, the mom. And mm-hmm. almost all of those to a woman are working in some variation of that archetype. Uh, 
because again, as as we said, it's it's a doozy of a trope. It's been with us for a while. Um, Are uh, you familiar with Ken Hughes's 1954 film noir, Joe Macbeth? No, that sounds cool as hell, though. It is. Uh, it's absolutely a film noir with gang bosses, but with very yeah. rival gangs and McDuffs and whatnot. Sure, and they have their clubs, and it's it's just fully. You know, she got walking sticks going all the way to the floor. Macbeth. I found out they did an Australian uh, Street Gangs Macbeth with Sam Worthington in my research. Yeah, I'm there. Right. Uh, this is like pre-Avatar. Yeah, this is way early <laughs> on for him. Uh, I've got a quote here uh, from Alison Wilmore uh, in 2013 that I, I love. Uh, this kind of speaks to what I was talking about with sort of the, the prevalence of this archetype in 2010's television. So this is from 2013. Alison Wilmore says, Every small screen antihero needs a frail moral compass, or failed moral compass, an illicit way of life, and a nagging wet blanket wife. Uh, and yeah, I, again, basically every one of those big shows from sort of the quote-unquote peak TV moment um, fits into that archetype in a way that is usually really interesting and knows what it's doing and finds a way to subvert those expectations a lot of the time. And I, I think what is most interesting about this film, Lady Macbeth, the reason we're here today, is the ways in which it takes our ideas of what a Lady Macbeth character is and does and says what happens when she is able to find a situation which she doesn't need Macbeth. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, so that's the class. Uh, I think it might honestly work better as a, as a unit uh, than its own class, but that has a lot to There's do with... There's a lot of movies, though. Yeah, that's a lot of movies. All, yeah. I know, but part of that has to do with just like, I don't want to make people watch a bunch of TV. We could cover the TV shit in like a day. Really? Um, I don't know. I you There's enough there to build it out into a full class. I mean, you can just call the class Macbeths. Yeah, I, we exactly. I just don't think I'm going to do it because I'm more <laughs> interested in the Lady Macbeth here. I think than than the Macbeth because I, I don't know. There's a lot of different things you can do with Macbeth, but at the end of the day, like he's a power hungry dipshit mm-hmm. and like tries to blame his wife for getting him into this position, mm-hmm. uh, and then feels bad about it when she, uh, you know, uh, takes the long walk. Um, yeah, that's the class. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm going to do a variation on something that you're hitting on there, and that is just simply the spider lady. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, the, the deadly damsel in, uh, in film and media. And this is different than a femme fatale. I mean, well, it depends on the femme fatale, you know. I okay. mean, the, the femme fatale can be a dangerous temptress, can be a seductress, but they don't oftentimes scheme and plot and murder, murder most foul. And uh, so uh, one of the first places I think we ought to go is Double Indemnity. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck and uh, Fred McMurray, uh, the great Billy Wilder film uh, there, where, again, it's ensorcelled and ensnared in a web of murder. And, again, we're thinking about this as a trope because I think what happens in Lady Macbeth is much more sympathetic and much more understanding. And so I want to sort of begin this as an end of a spectrum, moving in various ways and places. I would then move to the memory of a woman, the memory of mother. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, I Mm. think, is essential. Nice. In uh, this particular film. uh, to, To, again, just sort of think about the ways in which this works, those machinations towards murder and how that's all done in uh, various films. And, and then I, I think really, I mean, going into our marathon, I think Phantom Thread yeah, is the next sure. place to go. Uh, and because even though it's not quite murder, it is definitely threats of violence and systems of power and manipulating that. And we do see something of a of emotion there towards something else. And then looking at Florence Pugh's performance there in um, 
Lady Macbeth. I couldn't think of the name of the movie we're talking about. Yeah. I've said like seven times in the last seven minutes, and yet I couldn't say it. But there you go. Um, yeah, well, if we say the words Lady Macbeth enough times this episode, they will just fully stop She'll me. appear. She'll appear. <laughs> That's okay, what will happen. You guys went the hop a different direction? Thank you. <laughs> I was just going to talk about it. It turned into word soup and mean nothing to us. But no, that's even better. <laughs> that's spooky as hell. Don't say it in a mirror, friends. Um, that might be worse. God, I gotta get to a movie theater one more time. Get that Candyman. I gotta in go see Candyman, dude. I'm I'm pumped about it. <sighs> Sorry, but there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer. I believe now it's time to get down to business. It's So, I just have an interesting, not interesting, but just a basic kind of entertainment kind of question. I have one for you, too. What's yours? How is it that this movie is able to achieve an entire cast of unlikable characters, Mm -hmm. and we enjoy it? And when do films fail when they do that as well? I don't... I, I I mean, I, for me, it always comes down to performance, right? I, I had this kind of back and forth with a friend who didn't like uncut gems for that reason. Mm. That Hugh, Howie, right? Howie. It's Howie. Howard, Howie. Yeah. Howard. Um, Howard was so dislikable and he couldn't get into it. But to me, it just was just... give him another chance, yeah, baby. Come it was on. that pure magnetism of that performance. Yeah. And, and I think that has to help carry it, I think... The story has to help carry it because I, I mean I think with Lady Macbeth in particular it's like what next right mm-hmm. what what's going to happen next we've kind of already cranked this to eleven at about the halfway mark and it just ramps up from there and I think in my head I'm like how much worse can get this get right and for me I think that's what it comes down to is uh, just because a character is dislikable doesn't mean you know if if the story is worth investing in. If there's a hook, if there's a mystery, if there are stakes of some variety, uh, you know, what's next, what's going to happen to help pull you along, I I think that's the imperative. If if there's no stakes, uh, if there's no reason to keep watching, uh, I think that that kills the momentum. But but for me, for this movie in particular, and and movies of its ilk that are filled with dislikable characters, uh, I think it's just rides on the magnetism of those performances and and where the narrative is going with it. Uh, right about the time I made the note, uh, Horse is good actor, um, I realized we were like at the two-thirds mark, and I thought, I could watch another two hours of this. This movie rules. Mm-hmm. I want this TV show, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Lady Macbeth's misadventures. Yeah, I'll fucking... Like, every day is Red yeah, Wedding. You I know? will yeah. freebase Lady Macbeth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. I, you're absolutely right, Arthur. Like for whatever reason, and again, it might be just magnetism of Florence Pugh and uh, Cosmo. But like you, you were so drawn into this relationship. Um, my go-to for like uh, unlikable characters that don't work for me is uh, Raging Bull. Yeah, this yes. movie I need to give yeah. another shot. But yeah, I mean, like I get why Jake LaMotta is the way he is, and maybe it's because I, I can see like enough aspects of my myself and that kind of toxic dude where I'm like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, dude, get over it. Stop. Just be better. It's not just quit drinking, quit hitting your brother, quit hitting your wife. Like, stop. Here, the circumstances are so different. And Ryan, so so much of that comes to time and place and, and power and, and, you know, the nature of personhood in this time and place, Victorian England. 
where you, it, it's hard not be on people's side sometimes, even when they do things that are despicable, or even if not despicable, just kind of unlikable uh, or nasty. Um, but, but yeah, for for whatever reason, I, I and I think I think I think Catherine's place in this estate, this prison, uh, this gilded cage, makes her decision making process so much more understandable especially to like modern sensibilities right mm-hmm. like well it's it's hard for us to like think of living in that condition yeah, yeah. i mean there's definitely a real like he needed killing yeah. kind well, of sense yeah well not even that i mean early on right when we start to kind of see, when her and sebastian's first start hooking up mm-hmm. there's that real kind of living in the moment with them and like yeah you know down with the patriarchy these guys are jerks do what you know you deserve to live your life uh, and, and then we just kind of get pulled into that trap, uh, and as things begin to escalate, we're just there. We're accomplices in this. It is a sympathetic trap. It absolutely yeah. is. And even before that, though, this is it was before like the trap is sprung. Did I realize? Wait, a, hold on. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait a second. She's hooking up with the dude that assaulted her maid. Like I couldn't. I it, like I came back to me like yeah. as I'm getting swept and, up in this romance well, and came to assault her. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Except for yeah. she just. Tur- I mean, by the luck of you know her chemistry, turned uh, out to be into it. Yeah. Well, and yeah, but that was sort of her end game. It seemed like already. It just like she did not anticipate. She wanted his, to do it on her reaction. On yeah. her ground. He's sketchy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knows it. And has no empathy for what Anna went through with like this dude and the rest of the groundskeepers. Like. Which is just sucks, and it, the the fact that sexual violence is wow, we really should have gotten a content warning up top, but is like such an aspect of not such an aspect, but is a a part of the periphery of this movie, and yet the film like doesn't subject us to anything that is like too traumatic to watch. Although you know, there's some pretty upsetting things. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, it is upsetting. I just mean like it it deals with the with sexual coercion in a way that like I don't know we. I wrote the note like is historical horror something uh, because I thought about the Nightingale while I was watching this yeah, and like a yeah. film that like does similar stuff but like boy does it put you through a much like physically yeah. just painful physically ringer, ringer. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and this like I don't know I I thought it was gonna go there and it you know it does in in its ways but you know that it's it's abuses of people's bodies are easier to tolerate because they are more psychological, I guess, right? right? They're more acts of humiliation than they are acts of sexual dominance or anything I mean, like we do have a beatdown that happens. Yeah, in, sure. You know. But that's, I guess that's removed. I mean, again, violence against people's lives and, you know, bodies is, is definitely on, on display. I guess I just mean specifically sexual like... Sexual violence. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the nature of this story is going to involve... Right? I mean, she's she's been purchased. Uh, th- there is no bones about it. Yeah. Th- that's the nature of this arrangement. Yeah. That, that could lead you to a movie that is like a much more uh, viscerally unpleasant, but it doesn't. It knows it doesn't need to do that because it can get us on her side without being that shocking, right? It's it is a sort of in ways a rape revenge movie that manages to not deal with the part of those movies that is often like just unnecessary. Absolutely. Now I have a question. We talked about the likability unlikability of characters, and I'm not sure about Anna. You mentioned that she might be the closest to an innocent character in this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, because this is my read, and I'm just going to offer that, um, mm-hmm. is that she, when she is made to walk out of the room like a dog, and she's the mm. one that does the feeding and food preparation, mm. that she's in on the poisoning, although she doesn't realize it's going to go that far. Gotcha. 
and the door is locked. I, I, I don't know. And then, of course, her silencing that happens after. It's very interesting. We have more to say about that. But I think that she is, to an extent... Culpable. culpable I didn't. I in never the first murder, th- and I like that it's vague, right? Like yeah, that, yeah. Which she may or may not be that elliptical editing we talked about earlier. Like we don't know the the chain of custody on the poison mushrooms, exactly. right? Yeah. Right. We don't know if she's an accomplice, even if she. I'm going to go ahead and say let's one option. She's not. Mm-hmm. She goes silent because she knows she'll get blamed for it. If she is an accomplice and didn't know how far it was going to go. See, I don't, I don't know. The fact or that, that she she's as accomplice in the same way that our groomsman is, gotcha. and, and sort of an and, unwitting accomplice. Well, not no, he's witting. Yeah, yeah, but he's but, there. but is is racked with guilt because we've killed a person. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. He didn't. They, uh, she didn't understand the stakes, and that's what got right. her. Interesting. The, the, okay. I think to reinforce your idea, because I haven't read it like that, uh, and I think that is a really more interesting read. But to your point, is when she says. Uh, she tells Anna, you know, I'm not going to eat what you prepare for me anymore out of safety. <laughs> so right, I think you're right. Gotcha. And, and okay, then I she's like, that. and then that Anna's taking that, or not Anna, um, Catherine is taking that moment to throw her under the bus yeah. and say, I am totally working this where you're going to be the yeah. one. So yeah. you're being quiet. She's saying the story. Yeah. Keep being quiet. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I have a question for you, just a general entertainment and media thing. Mm-hmm. And that was that my circle back is, Dustin, is this an erotic thriller? You ask for yes. those so often on the show. I think we got one. I think it is. I think it is. I think it's our first erotic thriller. I think it would qualify. I think it's our first. We did Swim Fan. We did Swim Fan. That is true. We did it, do it, Swim Fan. It's the our, least erotic erotic thriller of all time. It's our first good one. Um, yeah, by a <laughs> there's margin, that. wide margin. There it is. Um, but yeah, I guess so. It is our, our first. I would, I would say definitely. Because, I mean, I, those are those transgressive Lady Chowderly thoughts I was having as I was watching the movie. Um, I think, yeah, it would definitely be an erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, Historical horror was the other, as as I've mentioned, the other like kind of genre but, yeah. I, I wrote down. Period but. eroticism. Uh, oh, which is the best kind. <laughs> Bodices and lace. Come on. Yeah, uh, corsets and that. So there you go. Great. Um, it's all great. Now let's talk more about Anna, um, and, sure. and let's talk about blackness. Cool. Uh, in this okay. in this moment, because very famously, Edvard Said in his uh, great little book of essays about postcolonial theory. Orientalism is the name of the of the text. Yep. He describes the subaltern, the colonized person, and the silencing of the subaltern. I mean, it is on the nose. Clearly, yep. our writer has uh, some familiarity with this kind of theory. So this is where things get interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know that Alice Birch, the writer of this film, thinks the ending of the film is feminist. I look at this film and go, no, it's absolutely not. This is about how white women throw black women under the bus and do it all the time. And this is not me. Like, it's very easy to talk about white feminism and like hard italics in a way that's like disguising your own misogyny. So I want to make it clear, like, I'm not. I really, I promise, I'm trying not to do that. But boy, does it sure happen. As much as white men have thrown everybody else under the bus in history, there, there is a. Uh, a point at which whiteness becomes more important, important than womanness, um, and cisness more important than you know um, identity, right? Um, and, and this happens like throughout the, the historical feminist movements, um, and that's how I read the end of this movie. So mm-hmm. I and that I got that quote came to me after watching the film. So I was very shocked by that. Now, if if the implication is yes, that that's my point. Then I go, okay, okay, I see what you're saying when you say it's it's feminist because I'm pointing out that fact that this happens historically. But like 
she wastes no time to throw Anna and Sebastian under the bus. I mean, and she has to think on her feet, obviously, because Sebastian yeah. has put her in this position where right. he says, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and confess in front of a room full of people. I don't know. Well, I think she, she's had. I think no, she's had she, that possible She's laid it out game. the entire. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. This is chess, not checkers. Yeah, She's anticipated she, this possibility. She right. plays right. every card in order yep. in mm-hmm. that final moment. Yeah. Yep. Wouldn't you do anything for me, Sebastian? I would die without you. Yep. Yeah, oh, man. She has played them all like yeah, a fiddle for sure. But yeah, I mean, she immediately sends them to the gallows, right? Because no one is going to believe them that over this, her. This, this they wouldn't white now. Girl. Period. Yeah. The cops wouldn't now. They definitely wouldn't 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. That sucks, dude. It does. It's bad. Uh, literally, there is a silencing, though, right? Because she goes mute after right. the, the murder of the elder Lester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is because of the guilt that she feels? I, is I, that your read? That's my read, Trauma. is that she she is so traumatized by having done this thing. See, I just read it, it, as... it, it It's her outdamned spot moment. Gotcha. She cannot wash away the spot, the stain of her guilt. Gotcha. And instead of madness it's muteness mm-hmm. and so okay. there there's our macbethian sort of analog there and so that's my read i don't know if, i'm I, not i, I don't think, think it's authoritative more, but i think that's more interesting than my read though which was just like the watching listening to this dude die which of course like mm. he was as abusive to her as anybody else but like that's the nature of losing somebody that abused you right like sometimes it is a a weirdly traumatic grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my read of it. But yeah, I, I think the read that she might have been an accomplice to the murder is and I think especially possible. the state... It's not likely. I, I think there's kind of a parallel where the state that we see uh, Sebastian in uh, at the end after they have uh, you know, killed the, the boy, uh, he's also kind of... He's having sort of an emotional breakdown in the room as he's confessing, right? Yeah. And right. I think that does kind of parallel. And he I was mean, working on one already when they kill younger Lester. Mm-hmm. You know, when they bring yeah. him, like, I keep seeing a smashed head in my mind. Right? Yeah. I mean, so it, he's not... Should we go ahead and lay down the chain of events for anybody that was like, I don't care about spoilers real quick? Um, uh, go um, ahead, do it. Yeah. Um, so after the Lester's leave, as Arthur mentioned his synopsis, um, she walks in on Sebastian and the other groomsmen, you know, harassing, the quote-unquote, weighing a sow. Uh, they've taken Anna's clothes and are weighing her uh, on one of the, you know, the livestock weighers. Uh, this, for whatever reason, attracts uh, Catherine to Sebastian, the head groomsman, and she decides she wants a piece of that. Um, her husband inevitably, or her uh, father-in-law inevitably comes home and ruins her good time, so she poisons him, uh, which, you know, fair enough, he sucks. Uh, <laughs> her husband finds out that uh, he's being cucked, so he comes home. And uh, Catherine proceeds to cook him right there in front of his face. Uh, and she gets Sebastian to murder him. Because that's, of course, what's going to happen. He gets Though him. she's the one that does the killing in that moment. Oh, yeah, moment. she kills oh, him. She that's does, right. She duh. brains him with the bedpost or whatever. No, she's 2-0. Yeah, 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 she's 2-0. She's so, yeah, she's the greatest. She's going for a 3-0. She's and undefeated in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Lester the Younger starts the physical altercation. Sebastian kind of like uh, immobilizes him briefly. And then and yeah, and Catherine, Catherine ends wails it. on him with a fire poker. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we then, of course, find out the younger Lester had a, uh, a bastard child. Uh, he had an illegitimate baby, a town over, uh, also with a, a woman of color, which... Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting for the reason why he does not engage sexually with his wife yeah because maybe she doesn't fit his taste which also reads into my anna stuff because yeah. it makes me wonder about what was yeah totally. what was his relationship with anna totally. because he seems to like him with more melanin it's just such a and again we get so much shit like that right like we get just like three breadcrumbs about the younger lester's kinks and like they don't really serve any purpose other than to make you go what is this dude's 
damn damage. Right. Uh, of course, Catherine cannot abide this child, even though he is as, just as cute as the day is long. He's adorable. Such a precious little guy. Little Teddy. Uh, and she sends him off. Uh, she scares the shit out of him, and he runs off and gets pneumonia. And while he is trying to recover, she talks Grandma out of the room and smothers him. While Sebastian holds his legs, and Sebastian, of course, confesses to this terrible act. And as we've already said, he goes down for the crime with Anna. There we go. Along with Anna, yeah. And they, with the last scene is their bodies um, being carted away after the gallows. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what happens, but we, where do we leave off? Oh, they've murdered Teddy, mm-hmm. and Sebastian is having his breakdown. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Arthur, like, he telegraphs that moment, like, we get to see him try to reach Anna, or talk to Anna about what's going on, but we don't see the context of that conversation, but yeah, like, we get a couple of shots of him just, like, yeah. losing his mind. Uh, over this, this act. But I think his reaction, you know, essentially a sane... A sane person's reaction to murder, mm-hmm. yeah, and being involved in murder, I think, reinforces Dustin's theory of Anna as an accomplice to the poisoning of Elder Lester. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of I sense. I think guilt, uh, you know, in, in a these, very these... sort of Presbyterian yeah. Scottish Presbyterian sense here. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, so that's that's a thing there. But again, the colonization that happens of Anna by perhaps younger Lester. And also um, by Sebastian, you know, again, where there's a, where the well, that's just abuse that happens there. But when Anna makes use of her for that purpose, that is what silences her. And the ways in which um, black bodies have been used to do terrible things. And I would just, you know, think about breeding programs in the plantations of the American South. Yeah, I mean, yeah. enough said. Well, we even, even before this, right, even before the murder, her reaction to Anna's assault is, yo, what's that guy's name? Like, that, that is her, yeah. her reaction to, towards this. And, like, what is her reaction to, like... He what? got an Insta? I yeah, mean, what, her, her reaction to having more power in the house is to wield it over Anna and to just kind of be a turkey. Now, again, Anna's brushing the shit out of her hair, but also, like, yeah... I'm, she doesn't have to like it, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the the power dynamic that like evolves uh, as it's just Anna and Catherine is I, I could have done with another thirty forty minutes of that. Again, yeah, I, I would watch the TV show of this without hesitation. Absolutely, there's so much going on between every single character. Ah, so good. Um, is as we're talking about the stuff with the, the, the subaltern. <sighs> Obviously, this succeeds where the beguiled failed in regards to race. Do we feel any particular way about how gender is dealt with in this film versus the beguiled? And I, again, it's it's hard not to talk about them just because we we did them back to back. But I do feel like they're treading a lot of the same ground as well. I, I think what we see in Lady Macbeth is a little bit more informed and informative yeah. about um, material conditions than the beguiled. The beguiled just sort of assumes, hey, Southern women, Civil War. Don't you know? And there's not really much else that's said. These are yeah. women, and he's a dude, right? Uh, and it's the Civil War, and there are these threats that are sort of lurking about, but not much more said. The context is much more strongly sort of, again, in a, in a, not in a didactic sense, but in, a, in a, an explicit kind of sense. So she's bought and sold as dowry property, 
right? That's a thing that went on. Um, ownership of the estate wouldn't even necessarily pass on to her. I mean, the problem of a ward is that there, there can be wards, first of all, which is a really common trope in literature of the time, and it's a pretty common practice. But also, Teddy's going to get it all yeah. when he comes of age. Yeah, they never talk about that, but it is sort of... They don't even really need to imply it, because I just I was like, oh, well, of course... That's part of why she wants him gone. Yeah. So there's a new heir apparent. And, and so there's those dynamics and then just the way in which she can be told what to do and when to do it and how to do it, uh, to not go outside. All of those sort of, again, property chattel kind of uh, treatment of a married spouse, uh, of a woman at that time. That's all sort of layered into this where marriage for uh, Kirsten Dunst's character would be it's almost play, play, played up as an escape possibility. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that these are women that they're here, but she's here because she can't go anywhere else um, because there's a war going on. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, it doesn't seem like the beguiled, though it has a context that is rich that we're sort of informed about just by coming in the movie and knowing when it is. Yeah. It, it doesn't contextualize in the same rich way that the Lady Macbeth does, to my, to my taste. What do you guys think? No, I, I mean, I agree with you. Like, without ever having to state it explicitly, uh, Lady Macbeth you know, really hones in on the ways in which, like, in the Western world, and really at the in the world at large because of colonization, uh, proximity to maleness and whiteness, but to white maleness is proximity to power. And, and the way in which this interrogates that and the beguile just absolutely can't be bothered to is is really striking. Again, because one is specifically said during uh, a war about slavery. I just kind of baffling to me, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, but this gets it without ever really needing to. I don't know. It's just so clean, and it's it's addressing of this stuff, right? It, it, and again, that's what makes me wonder about direction because there is nothing lit like in the the text of what people say to one another. It is all looks. It is all acting and direction. That is, again, not that it matters that much because well, you know, there authority, are just like, authorial di- intent, there whatever. are throwaway contextual bits, taking photographs um, with the corpse, yeah, right, yeah, uh, oh or God, the yeah. minister coming by and asking why haven't you been in church, but just saying, well, I know you'd been ill because of your attendance, and it's like this is the way I'm saying you're not coming, but I'm giving you that out, and I'm telling you that I know, but I'm not telling you that I know. I get get the implication Anna sent for him. Uh, but perhaps, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I, Anna's manipulating. You know, she she's very protective of the household and and the the Lesters. Well, she doesn't trust this lady. Mm-hmm. Well, and <laughs> for it, good to reason. be fair, and this lady, she might be assuming is horning in on her action. Uh, interesting. Uh, possibly. Interesting. I mean, that's that is the richness of the text, right? Like there are so many different ways to read these different relationships mm-hmm. because there is so much vagueness, and normally that's a bad thing. But very easily can be a bad thing in any story. For whatever reason, and I, I'm going to chalk it up to acting, because that's what it, it was for me, you, you get so much out of just the way people look at each other in this movie, truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's something else. Uh, there's only one parent at this table, uh, of human children anyway. Um, I, children in stories are, you know, quite often used as like a symbol for good or innocence, uh, is the the good gone from this place before that murder? And I don't know. Is there anything to be gleaned from this movie's use of child death, which I did not expect? 
Right. I, I, I think it is to fully spring the trap of earlier sympathy. I, I think the child is used in that narrative kind of fashion. Okay, so we can make an argument that older and younger Lester needed killing. Right. Yeah. Again, we need somebody that is is pure. And and, and, the, and this is a purely opportune, uh, purely uh, uh, just expediency of what I need and what I want. It is it is for power and authority, and also to further dominate Sebastian. I think she definitely wants to have him um, kept. At that sense, you know, uh, and so that's part of what a possible end game looks like. Again, to use chess metaphors uh, for that, but. Not the only possibility, um, again, being that she's also got the cards on the deck. If he flips out on me, I can get rid of him. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the use of him, uh, again, this child, is, is, is to fully disassociate ourselves with her and, and, and to fully feel complicit and guilty for having rooted for her mm-hmm. yeah. in murder most foul. Because even though the Lesters are bad people, they should not be poisoned. They should not be brained with pokers. Maybe. <laughs> the again, the, 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 there, there, are, there are other options. There, there, they're more difficult. Yeah, the fr- well, and the French have a really great option that they could use. Which is this is a joke about guillotines? Sorry, oh, guillotines. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was just thinking the sort of um, unacknowledged infidelity. But oh, okay, we, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. The, sure, sure. Like, we all know, but we're just gonna we're gonna walk past it. That's yeah, the old I, house of three. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No. That, that's what I thought you were going with. No, not that, not that French invention. The other one, where, where clearly, um, by the time we find out, younger Lester is after his death that he is. Um, he 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 likes black women. It is just his particular attraction. Um, and again, whatever's going on with that, who knows? And power There's dynamics. There's so much going on in this movie. <laughs> but if that is the case, we could simply go to, well, let's just play house. You've got Anna. I've got Sebastian. We're going to move on. We'll hide it better. Okay. And yeah. I mean, that yeah. is an option. You're right. Or, uh, she, she, I mean, I think he's going to leave again. She could go on, take the money, and run. I think, you know, to your point, I mean, the younger Lester is in many ways, a victim too, right? I mean, he doesn't yeah. want this life. No, he hates his all. dad. Yeah. As Anna, and Anna knows it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is born into a time and place just like anybody else in the movie. You're right. And we really get to see that kind of kick the dog thing that works out here was, you know, he is abused by his father, so he abuses Catherine. And then we get to see this great moment when after she, quote unquote, rescues Anna from, from the, the groomsmen, right? Uh, where she she echoes... The younger Lester, she, she against par- the wall, yes. faces against the wall, yes. and right. I think that's such a fascinating moment in her yes. evolution, right? And, and I think that's where the chess match begins. She's mm-hmm. already picking up on her opponent's moves and, and using that to her power. Well, you're a step ahead of me because one of the questions I wanted to ask is: Was this always in Catherine? And if not, at what point does she find it? She is a survivor. Yeah, and so, she has learned to survive somehow. Yeah. I'm and going to give away my cards now because I do think this is a chess game. She does take out his knight, literally, by killing his horse. She does take control of the castle. She is the queen that moves in all directions yeah. throughout. We have a bishop that comes in, and she quickly, by standing up, takes him off the board. I don't know that this is in the mind of the screenwriter, but um, there are... Massive, and then just a number of pawns. The pawns being specifically Anna and Sebastian, um, that are being Teddy used. and his grandmother. Uh, yeah, Teddy and the grandmother as well. Um, being just simply used, 
for whatever purposes, and we're moving from room to room. We're taking care of space. I, I, and again, I haven't finished uh, watching uh, Queen's Gambit yet, but I've been thinking Chessie thoughts uh, a little bit. Are you lately. catching up with that? Um, I am starting to finally. That's good. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through the first episode, so I'm barely in. Gotcha. But you like it. I was thinking those kinds of thoughts, and it's influencing this. But the metaphor seems to be too on the nose yeah. for it not to be in part in the mindset of how the screenplay was constructed. Hmm. I like yeah. it. Yeah. That's, uh, I see where you're going with that. And uh, I have a hard time disagreeing with you. I agree. So with Dalton um, and you, <laughs> <laughs> we're having a good time. Okay. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Did anybody else laugh when she fell down the first time she shot the horse? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I laughed. I had a little I mean, chuckle. I know you guys take a lot of joy in, Horse deaths. I, I don't. I like horses. I know you love the uh, the heartwarming scene in The Godfather. But, but there's, there are ways in which there are moments that are distressing. This movie's got that a lot are of jokes. Kind it of does funny. have humor. Yeah. Like, yeah. That be- cat? Love that cat. Before, Best supporting cat. <laughs> before um, Catherine um, goes into the uh, ape dialogue from the younger Lester when she's talking to Anna, mm-hmm. and it's this sort of acting like nothing's going on, like it's a weird way, like it's English propriety, and I'm giggling at first during that scene until I'm not. Yeah, and I just I, I was just curious about the weird laugh moments there. No, I, I, yeah, Dalton's right on. Right, I, I think this has a, a strong through line of that dark humor, and and it's it's got jokes. Yeah, that horse is a great actor. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it up now that we're talking about great the horse animal death. actors in this movie. Great animal actors, truly. Uh, I did see an interview where somebody asked Florence what it was like to work with a cat. And she, you could tell she was like, ah, "This is fucking great. Of course, you're gonna ask me that dumb question." The she, cat's she fascinating, was, right? I mean, it's we well, she was just like, "Yeah, I I would come I, in and do my thing, and then you know they just film the cat, and it would out out act me by being a cat by being sucks. good stunt cat. I work. hate it. <laughs> it was very it was very funny." Good stunt horse too. I mean, I'm telling you, good performance from the horse. I'm telling you what, yeah. I mean that that yeah. to get a horse to drop like that in those kinds of postures is I, I can't do it. I mean, I'm, I'm no horseman, but I'm, I'm yeah. just telling you right now. I mean, I've been around horses Woo! a little bit in my life, and I could I could not. I don't know how one gets a horse to do a thing like that. And so it's yeah. it, it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, great animal actors. Uh, they had Robert Redford on set. That Robert Red horse. He can just look at him and he whispers. He whispers. (laughs) All right. Are there any other major thematics or other areas? I I think the big, I think the last thing to really interact, I I mean, just to see if there's anything there is we we wind up with Catherine's pregnant. (sighs) Yes. You know, you look fat. That is, I thought, pure meanness. And then we find out. And then I find out it's. The film wraps it around. He's actually making an observation. He's being mean. But, he's, but he is truly making an observation yeah. as well, and that's that's how quickly this is being telegraphed. Um, only later, when you're watching the movie, do you pick it up. But yeah, yoinks. I don't know what that means, but I, you know, it's interesting that she's she can't escape the ghost of Lester, whether it be Teddy, the the young the young boy, or now her own seed. Yeah, Sebastian's baby, though, right? Yeah. So yeah, things don't ever go how you plan them. But when you're... she can't say that. Can't, can't she? say that. No, no. she sure. She finally cannot. provided the air. She sure can't. Uh, yeah, things don't go as planned, especially when you're trying to like make other people. When when your plan hinges on other people's reactions to your behavior, uh, you're in trouble. Um, I watched this with uh, Becca, and uh, mm. she had an interesting observation uh, that <laughs> we last talked about while talking about Dune. 
Uh, Dune's got uh, some line in it. I think it's um, the Lady Jessica's got some line about how, no, I don't know, men are too sensitive for politics. They can't be trusted with this kind of stuff. Uh, mm. And Becca's had a similar observation about Sebastian's behavior. She's like, yeah, this, men are way too sensitive. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We are big, big babies, and we like to pretend that we're not. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, 100%, if I saw somebody smash somebody's head in, I would not be able to sleep. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 100%. I am way too sensitive to uh, murder an entire uh, family line. <laughs> Are you wow. kidding me? That, that, I mean, and again, it is, a, it is a murder of the entire family line. I didn't really put that dot together, but yeah, I mean, Teddy is Lester's son, so she car- kills three generations of Lester's. Yep. Yoinks. Well, and that's, that is sort of the Lady Macbeth tale, right? It, it is Macbeth going, well, I guess the only reason not to do this is I might get caught. And Lady Macbeth saying, do it, dum-dum. And that's really what it comes down to. And that, that is why I think this archetype is so interesting and like has such legs. Is There are a lot of uh, misogynistic interpretations of that character and of that story and of those themes. But I think the more interesting way, and I think probably the, the committee that was William Shakespeare intended it, was probably more a, an interrogation of, of its day's gender roles, right? Mm-hmm. It is an interrogation of who has power, who has access to it. And how does that inform the way we relate to one another in a society? I hear we live in one. That's what I keep hearing. But more and more more people are saying. The marathon questions. Okay. And they are twofold. It says basically two questions at once. Okay. Okay. All right. So which one is the best movie and which one are you most likely to watch again? Or would you watch again first? I, I would watch again first Phantom Threat. Same, man. I th- I th- and I think from top to bottom, it's the best movie. But Lady Macbeth is close for me. It's yeah, it's close, but it's it's Phantom Thread. Kiss me, my dear, before I'm sick. Come on, those dresses, that lighting, yeah. that hair. Get the fuck out of here. The food. Oh, the food. There's no, and that's you know what. I'm gonna bring it up to that. There's no good food in Lady Macbeth. Asked and answered. So, I, I will say Phantom Thread's missing a cat. Oh, sure. So you would definitely watch it next. Is it better than Lady Macbeth? I think so. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 By yeah. a slim margin. Yeah, um, I think I think that there is some happiness and hope to it. Probably yeah. just makes it... Yeah. Maybe more just... I think the palatability of it well, is, and, is maybe what puts it and over. And you're thinking right? about it in the context of, you know, it's two totally opposite things, right? We have the breakout role for Florence Pugh, and we have the maybe retirement role for, yeah. for Danny, um, as his friends all call him. Um, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those shoes he said. They you. call him Dan. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, my shoes. He cobbled them himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 close, but it's Phantom Thread for me. What about you? I think Phantom Thread I would watch quicker, but I think I like Lady Macbeth. I think it's, think a it's the better movie film. Yeah, interesting. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue. It's good. I, I I think. I mean, you look at these two movies, and, and well, I mean, what's the budget on Phantom Thread, real quick? Uh, I, I mean, I know it's small-ish. Yes, ten million. But I mean, most of that I mean, is probably for Danny the actors, Day. right? I mean, this is thirty-five million dollars. Wow, I went and way low. You Whoa. can put, I mean, you can put these, the sound design and the production design of these two movies, and it's it's even territory. Yeah, I, I think right. Performances are, are, I mean, it's hard to top Florence Pugh, and it's hard to top Danny Day Lewis. I think they both turn in great performances, right? So, I, I, I mean, I think it's one of those questions on any given day, I could easily be swayed one way or the other. I think I prefer the... I do feel like the film is more about Florence Pugh's character than it is about 
uh, actress name, character name, both are gone out of my head from fan thread. Oh, oh uh, Vicky, Vicky Krebs. Vicky Krebs, yeah. Creeps. Uh, creeps. I, I think it's... Reynolds I think it's, Woodcock. I think it's less about her. Interesting. Because I think just because of the Titanic force that is Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. And as much as it is about her, so much of it is how she perceives Reynolds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, well, All I'd right. say that's a marathon. Let's render a verdict then on this film. What do you say? Shelf for trash, Arthur. Shelfable film. Uh, you complete this trilogy and put it nicely on your shelf because I, I, I like it. What do you say, Dalton? Uh, th- this is more a uh, I don't own any movies thing, uh, and also you can support your library by using Canopy. Uh, although I don't know how that works out entirely. And how long that lasts? In other places, it's going to be. Yeah. I know in some places it actually costs the libraries too much money, and they can't offer it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe if you watch Lady Macbeth, your library might get some money. So I don't know. Get a Canopy subscription. Uh, this is I don't know. This it belongs in a library. Damn it! Like it's an important movie. I don't know. If you need to own it. You really want to see Florence Pugh smother a child like more than twice uh, a quarter? I don't think so. Fair enough, fair enough. What I'm going to say is simply I think it's worth owning because if there's a director commentary or a screenwriter commentary oh, or any special feature at all, yeah. like I need that. Yeah. I I want that. And so that makes it total I mean not 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 to mention I think it's great. Yeah. But I think it makes it totally ownable because I think I want to know other possibilities, and I hope, I would hope, it's a, a, of the David Lynch school, but lighter. David Lynch will tell you nothing. Do you care to comment on that? No. But to suggest all the possibilities, because I'm certain we did not mind them all yeah. uh, in thinking yeah, yeah. about this. And uh, I would love that, and for the film to, and the filmmakers to suggest other possibilities in a commentary track. I would watch that for sure. Yeah. Uh, if I picked it up. So there you go. Those are our thoughts. They're generally pro. Um, all right. Um, Dalton, say words about um, being part of the conversation with us. Oh, God. I forgot I have to do this before. I just want to find out what we're going to watch next. Um, we're on Twitter at Good Trash Media. Uh, we're on other places on the internet, but why would you go to those places that have directly contributed to genocide? Although the place on Twitter that we're at, the place we're at and active, Twitter, was probably responsible for an insurrection, so I don't know, man. Like, hedge your bets online. Stay logged off. That's good for your brain. Uh, maybe tell a friend about it. That's a good way to have a conversation. Ask them the last movie they saw or something. Uh, if you've got long-form feedback, we're good trash genre cast at gmail.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to us on a podcatcher if that's your bag. Um, and, you know, while you're rating and reviewing and subscribing, maybe check out podcasts from our friends. Uh, you can check out The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade. Uh, the best podcast about Randy Newman that there is. Uh, and you can check out The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, a very good show by very good boys uh, about, well, sometimes very good things and sometimes very troubling things. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, now, the exciting thing. I am so excited. Drum roll, please, yeah, what, Arthur. What are you taking us to after this? this is it a marathon? marathon? Is it a, cool. is a one-off? What, what's happening? What's happening? Well, next week we started at a capital O official marathon because, <sighs> boys, it is the most wonderful time of the year as we enter the spooky season. Ooh, the season that's of the right. Salwin is upon us. We are kicking off Shocktober, boys. It is Shocktober 10. It's the rise of the reboot. And next week we watch... Dracula 2000. Yeah, baby. Oh, Patrick Lucier is so... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm You've not. wanted this for so long. I'm so happy for you. This is... Shocktober 10 is the reboot. The rise of the remake. reboot. I and love and this, this is Gerard this is Butler as Dracula, friends. 
in case you didn't know. I did know about uh, this. Okay. <laughs> I thank you because for... I've probably talked about it on the show, so I'm sure times. you guys are all informed. But but they might not know, and they're the people putting this in their ears, and I'm glad they get to go into next week's episode knowing that bananas detail. Arthur, where can the the fine people and also your co-hosts find this film? I believe it is streaming currently on Paramount Plus. I have to make a shelf for trash decision, I think, because I have the entire Dracula 2000 um, trilogy on disc, but my initial film, the first film, um, found its way not in the case, and I have children, and it does not play any longer. Oof. I think I watched like 15 minutes of this movie when it like first, when I was, when I was 10, when it, when first it was came for out. you. Yeah. When it was for me. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> uh, I did not make it through it then. So oh. it's, it's Gerard Butler. It's Christopher Plummer. It's Johnny Lee Miller. It's Justine Waddell. It's Jennifer Esposito. It's Omar Epps. It's Shane West. It's, ugh, it's Nathan Fillion. It's Sean Patrick Thomas. It's Jerry Ryan. It's That's vitamin right. C. It's Lieutenant Dax. 2000. I am freaking the hell out. That is an Wow, that cast would have been nobodies 20 years ago, but now those are all names, pretty much. That's wild. Oh, guys, you want this. Also, is Shane West canceled? Or do you just not like him? No, I, the, the next person is canceled. Oh, okay. On this list. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you for clarifying. Fair I enough. was worried for a moment. All right, well, I guess we'll see you next time. All right, then, huh? you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we will indeed see you next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.